0: Tony, welcome back to the chair for podcast number 18 and welcome Kafka Bond listeners. Uh, we're on the topic that everyone loves. I reckon it's the most exciting topic uh, our clients love, it, Tony, superannuation. It's
1: exciting uh, when people understand the benefits of it. <laughs> uh, for some people in their 20s, they just couldn't think of anything more to discuss if they want to get to sleep at night, yeah, be yeah. able to fall asleep and have a good and deep night's sounding sleep yep. yeah there's nothing
0: worse than when you start your job first job well i'm a country boy so i don't know about these city kids but are you a country boy year, no 15 jokes years, 15 <laughs> years and nine months and then you start superannuation they tell you can't touch it to past 60 so it's, it's not a good feeling that
1: it's not and i remember that when i first joined this industry at the ripe old age of 21 and thinking, the city kids i don't start working mate i was thinking exactly the same as you did <laughs> jamie but just having just turned 50 it's now a case of when the hell did that 30 years ago, I'm 29 in this industry. So yeah, I, I hear these young kids, but all of a sudden you wake up and you're 50. <laughs> yeah.
0: so, well, a- okay, well, let's talk about planning from, I guess, from a young age through to after retirement, because um, superannuation is vital, I guess, at, at all points in your life. But I guess, it, it, what are the benefits of it, it, superannuation, um, whether it's, I guess, retirement or building up to that retirement?
1: Well, I think, there's, I think there's two sectors that we should discuss at the start with, and that is being an employee and being self-employed. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, when I first joined the industry, so this how long ago that was, superannuation wasn't compulsory. Uh, whereas nowadays, you start part-time work at, you know, the likes of McDonald's at the age of 15, and you've got superannuation all of a sudden. Uh, So that was unheard of when, uh, back in the day, or the good old days, as I tend to refer to them now as showing my ripe old age. The basis of it is, is that superannuation is now a don't even think about it, whereas when I first started in the industry, people would actually go and inv- set up a superannuation fund, not a self-managed fund, just like with National Mutual or AMP or Colonial or MLC, <coughs> and they would go and invest with their own after-tax dollars or if they were self-employed with dollars. So there weren't a lot of employer groups out there who were paying superannuation on behalf of their employees. The large companies, the BHPs, Telstra's, Governments and things like yeah, that, so if the cor- you in know, a police force, had it. The
0: corporate super funds. So we've been doing, I guess, a lot of, um, since I've started uh, you know, consulting for a lot of large groups, like you yeah. mentioned, on those corporate super funds. So were they the sort of first established four people?
1: Uh, yes, well, you might remember how I started in this industry, is working in the corporate superannuation fund sector, where we consulted uh, for huge companies, uh, for their members in regards to being able to get better pricing, good investment outcomes, and things like that when superannuation first became uh, compulsory. So looking at it from both perspectives of both the employee basis, so from an employer's perspective, a large employer's perspective, it's compulsory, or any employer's perspective, it's compulsory by law to put away currently 9.5% on behalf of employees into superannuation. So, now, that's a tax deduction to the business and the contributions attract a 15% contributions tax. Technicalities aside, Jamie, you're an employee here, you turn up to work, you don't have to worry, X amount of dollars per year gets put into your superannuation fund. When I first joined the industry, people would try and save $100 a month with after-tax dollars and have that saved uh, themselves, no employer help with superannuation, etc. So... What we now have is a component where the majority of people don't bother saving for their retirement because it's done for them. But as a result of that, if we have a look at, say, that employee versus that self-employed scenario is... A lot of employees don't even look at their superannuation balances. They don't have a clue where they're invested. So, we might be consulting on behalf of a large organisation, might have five hundred employees, as an example, trying to ensure that the fund, default fund they're in, is best for them. But eighty to eighty-five percent of the members aren't engaged. They're sitting in default funds. They've got two, three, four hundred thousand dollars and don't have a clue where their money's invested. Yeah. So, based on uh, when you actually consider that, you look at the scenario and you say if they had to do that themselves how much more interested would they be? and for us the scenario is if they took more interest in what they did can their outcome at retirement be better off? as you said the 25 year old doesn't really think but what about that 60 year old? you know the email we got for today Myself and my husband are trying to plan for our retirement over the next five years. We're 60 years old. We're not too sure where we are. Now, I know they're going to be in an okay position, they're government employees. But in saying that, though, it's when do you start taking interest? And my thoughts are take interest from day one.
0: People won't. Yeah. But, but be engaged. We've talked we've talked previously about the compound effect. Um, yeah. yeah, There's a book that we've read in here, and it's discussion we've added a conversation series. But I guess you take that action as a younger person, um, save yourselves on fees, and being the right fund and. I guess, try to mitigate risk in those bad times. And and that can play a huge effect because it keeps growing.
1: Yeah, and I think there's an advantage with some of the simplifications of the rules in recent years where, as an example, you can actually save with after-tax dollars now. So, for example, you might decide that you just want $200 a month to go into your superannuation fund and we can salary sacrifice that on your behalf. Or you get your net pay and with after-tax dollars you can put in a couple of hundred dollars a month yourself couple hundred dollars a month, you know, over the space of a year, it doesn't sound like a lot of money. You're 27 years old over the space of the next 38 years. That can be the difference of an extra million dollars in retirement. A couple hundred dollars a month, $2,400 a year is a $2,400 tax deduction for you. So you get to claim that deduction, even with put saving with after-tax dollars nowadays. So it does simplify, but that small amount now, over the next, in your case, 38 years, is a huge difference. So for that 50 year old to try and make up that million dollar balance when they start saying, God, I've only got 15 years to go. I'm gonna start uh, saving for my retirement. That's nearly impossible to be able to save the same amount or because the maximum you can put into super is $25,000 a year as a tax deductible contribution. Otherwise it goes to after tax dollars. But that's gonna be nearly impossible for that 50 year old to make up the difference of the small amount that you can start saving today. So this is what we're saying to the younger members of the employer groups that we consult to, is get engaged, understand where your money is, understand the risks involved where your money is, but also at the same time, take advantage of the rules and take advantage of the fact, you know, without wanting to get slapped across the face like Tim Gurner and Bernard Salt have with the ever smashed avocado and toast. Still have your smashed avocado and toast, but saving 200 bucks a month, you're not gonna miss it. But the Benefit in the end can be absolutely
0: huge. Yeah, you. Before you're talking, I guess about the self-employed. Um, and, yeah. those, and those SME clients. Um, and as you're saying, if I turn up to work, then you're going to pay my superannuation. But we actually find a lot of the times when uh, SME business owners come in, they're actually abiding by the laws and paying their staff, but they're not doing it for themselves. Yeah, it's it's interesting,
1: isn't it? When you you go and see an SME who you know is turning over. You know, five or ten million dollars, got a business making a million dollars profit a year, paying 300 grand in tax um, on that profit, taking a very healthy income. Their accountant's doing the best job possible to get the tax, minimise the tax as much as possible. Uh, you turn up and work for that that uh, that person, they pay you a 100 grand, they're putting away nearly $10,000 in the super on your behalf. And then you have a look at their, so you're doing all the work for them, and you sit down and you look at their superannuation balances, and they've got 50 grand, 100 grand. And it's like, well, first of all, you're paying money in tax. Why aren't you putting money aside for yourself in your superannuation? Why aren't you taking advantage of the laws and putting away 25,000 on behalf of yourself and 25,000 on behalf of your spouse? It's lowering your tax bill slightly, but you're actually starting to accumulate something for retirement. So what I don't understand is why the self-employed person will follow the letter of the law on behalf of all their employees but don't bother to do it for themselves. And in some cases, it might be a case of, well, you know, it's um I've bought these five or six properties outside of superannuation. Legitimate, not a problem. They, they are building some investments. They've got a business, you know, that they could sell today for maybe three or four million dollars. Once again, legitimate. But at the end of the day, the business is what someone's prepared to pay for when it's time for them to sell and retire. Um It's not what they think it's worth today. So when you're actually looking at that, you say, why aren't you maximizing everything for yourself? So once again, look at it as a business expense is I have a new business expense of $50,000 a year, but that $50,000 a year is actually 100% to your benefit. And that's fifty thousand a year if you've got a spouse, of course. So you and you and your partner or spouse, yeah. on that basis. So, so that's what I don't understand about the self-employed. They don't necessarily look after themselves at times as well as they look after the employees. So that's a bit of a bone of contention for me. <laughs> um, and all my SME clients know that when I first meet them. Yeah. So it's it's very rare I find someone who's fully funded right up to the maximum they can every year.
0: Okay. Well, let's talk about the the different types of super funds. Um, what I guess our members or our clients um, can go into. We've sort of talked about corporate superannuation um, Mm. and doing that as large part organisations, but what types of super funds do these people go into? Well,
1: there's predominantly three types of funds. What's commonly known as retail. In other words, you have your own, you're not part of a corporate, you have your own individual fund uh, where the superannuation trustee could be Anyone from a Colonial or an MLC or an AMP um, or a Macquarie. uh, We predominantly use Macquarie and NetWealth uh, for that, as you know. Uh, The second one is industry superannuation funds. Predominantly everyone who's a member of an industry super fund is usually an employee somewhere. Sometimes they have no choice. They have to be a member of that. For example, to to get on site, you have to be a member of CBUS, as an example not suggesting CBUS is good or bad, it's just that that member doesn't necessarily have any choice. Um, Bearing in mind they can roll over funds to another fund if it's worth their while. And the third one is a self-managed super fund. And and for us with new clients, we won't recommend a self-managed super fund unless they want to buy a property because the underlying investments are going to be exactly the same as what they would be in the, when we use Macquarie or Netwealth as a trustee, as an example.
0: Yeah, and there's, there's increased costs that comes with Oh, the absolutely. There's
1: there. the accounting, there's the auditing, uh, the, and the, and on top of the increased costs, the increased obligations on the members who actually don't necessarily understand the rules. You know, I've met some financial planners who don't understand the rules of yeah. self-managed super funds, Jamie. So, so based on that, don't get me wrong. I love self-managed super funds but you'd only use it if you're gonna utilize it for something that you don't have to. If all you're gonna do is have cash and direct shares, it's cheaper for you to actually have a retail fund with those exact same direct shares and cash than what it is to actually have a self-managed super fund because why would you pay the 3,000 uh, plus, in ongoing taxation and compliance costs as a result. So, so based on that, unless you're going to borrow money to invest in property or have your own uh, business premises uh, through your self managed super fund, we wouldn't recommend that. But they are very popular investment vehicles, and if used correctly, it can be amazing. Uh, amazing.
0: Yeah, I guess. So, I guess Lib- the Liberal Party's got in. Um, yep. That's happened a few months ago. Oh, geez, it's getting on a bit now. Yeah. <laughs> But I guess that gives us a bit of certainty around superannuation. It does, gives us a bit of stability for a few years. for the next few years. So I guess tax planning, um, that's an important part of the financial journey and income in retirement. So I guess, do you want to touch on that and talk about ways that we do this with our clients?
1: Yeah, there's a few things I suppose to consider here and that is tax planning is, I I touched on earlier that you can contribute up to $25,000 as what's known as a concessional contribution, claim that as a tax deduction. Just bearing in mind in here, um, you know, general advice, disclaimer, yeah. don't go and running and do that. If you're an employee and your employer already puts away $10,000 a year for you, the maximum you can put away is tax deductible contribution is 15, yep. okay, so uh, so it's all inclusive in respect to that contribution, but from a tax- Sink, Seek advice. Seek advice, <laughs> that's what we're here for. <laughs> so it's, um, but in regards to uh, the tax planning, one of the greatest benefits of superannuation is not necessarily just the immediate tax benefits of the concessional contribution, but it's the ongoing tax benefits. So as an example, if we buy a, let's say, as an example, we bought an asset in your personal name or in a family trust or in your superannuation fund. And let's assume that was an investment property, let's say. So in that case, it would have to be a self-managed super fund. You bought the property for round numbers $500,000. And one day in the future you're now 65 years old and you're planning on retiring and that $500,000 property is now worth $1.5 million. And you decide that the income you're getting from that is not enough and you need to draw down on part capital. So what you do is you sell that property in your personal name. What you've now done is realized a million dollar capital gain in your personal name. So if we assume there's no tax, 50% discount is 500, you're roughly paying about 220,000 in tax. That exact same property in a family trust, you get some tax relief. You can just distribute income to beneficiaries and things like that, there is some tax relief. Capital gains tax scenario, there's not a great deal more tax relief than what you get in your personal name. But you own that same property through your superannuation fund. Exact same property, bought at the exact same time. Let's say you bought unit one unit two next door to each other. Sold them both at the exact same time, got the exact same sale fee for the both of them. The one yourself managed super fund you earning the same income or same rent. The difference is, is that that income in retirement is tax free. So let's say you kept the property and you rented out for 30,000 a year. Well, that 30,000, you're paying no tax within the fund and whatever income you take from the fund, you're also paying no tax on. That income or rent in your personal name, you're fully taxed. You can't distribute that half in your spouse's name because that property's in your name. So that 30,000 is fully taxable in that scenario. I already touched on the capital gains tax. Let's say you sold that property in your self-managed super fund. You've realized a million dollar capital gain, so it is a realized gain. Tax rate over, currently over the age of 60 and as long as you're retired and the fund is in allocated pension mode, catch rate is, cash, tax rate is zero. So based on that, you just saved yourself $220,000 in tax. So from a tax planning perspective, don't, when you're buying an asset, don't just think of the benefit that asset might get you now, buying it in your personal name. Long-term, where is that asset? So from an estate planning perspective as well, your estate is not necessarily paying tax on that asset either, when you, when you go and inherit it, if structured properly, through a self-managed super fund, uh, etc. So, So, and I say structured properly, and we'll touch on that in a moment. So that exact same asset, exact same gain, $220,000 tax versus zero tax, what would you prefer? Yeah. Pretty simple question, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I guess it, with the market though lately, um, they have been tightening up on self-managed super funds. No, oh, they um, have very much. And, so. and lending, so yep. it is another thing for people to consider not to just run out and do it. Um, oh, have-
1: absolutely not. There are so many rules, yeah. and it's it, there's no grey areas in superannuation. It's black and white. Yeah. Uh, don't mess around with it. And even for an equity perspective, you know, you buy an investment property in your personal name, you might put ten percent down, uh, or you might even borrow hundred percent if you got equity in your own home. In a super fund, you have to put down 30% equity as a minimum. Yeah. Uh, realistically, you want it to be uh, neutrally geared, so the rent is covering the repayments, and on top of that as well, um, you know, with the with the loan component, it's a non-recourse loan, so the interest rate is always slightly higher. But we would also suggest that you have at least 30% uh, liquid funds on top of what you've used. So let's say, for example, you've used. $200,000 uh, of your super fund as a deposit uh, for that property. I'd also wanna see that you've got $100,000 in liquid assets and you've got the regular 9.5% contributions going in to keep building up those liquid assets. You still want liquidity. I've seen some horror stories where people have bought off property spruikers and set these things up, they said that the property spruiker said you could do it on a 10% deposit. Bank won't loan them the money at settlement the property comes in undervalued uh, it's just a disaster and basically they've just blown their superannuation savings because they've got advice from someone who's flogging them something rather than actually putting a properly structured investment in place so you have to be careful in that but tax planning two other major scenarios too especially for our sme clients yep. as you know we have hundreds of them uh, <coughs> very successful sme clients First of all, they, they do sell their business for $3 million. We can use, for example, the small business tax concession within superannuation, contribute up to the $1.4 million into it, and by doing that, there's actually no capital gains tax on that component. And that is over and above the cap that you're actually allowed to have in superannuation. There's also another thing called the downsizers rule, which I thought was a tremendous rule. We've now used four times, I think, in here, where client there's, there's eight categories that all the boxes need to be ticked. Clients are over age 65, they've retired, they've sold their principal place of residence with a view to buying a, another home or downsizing. They don't actually have to, but downsizing. They've sold that home, they're allowed to contribute up to $300,000 each. Even, you can't usually use a bring forward rule once you're over age 65 on after tax contributions. And that once again, so if they're at their full market cap of 1.6 million each, they can still make the downsize of contributions. It doesn't count towards that cap. So the government are doing this by allowing people to unlock equity basically in their home and buy a smaller place, contribute something in the super. So they're giving them an incentive to do that as well. So uh, that's other great benefits. I mean, we did that last year for a couple of clients, I think were 82 and 85. Uh, some very successful people sold their, sold their house, downsized their contributions, bought a house for half the amount, still had money left over. you know so good good so there's a whole range of tax planning scenarios where we can use superannuation for in saying that though you don't invest to get a tax deduction you invest to actually make a good investment and if a tax deduction is attached that's great so where you invest the money once you put it into superannuation got all these advantages is just as important as actually doing it to gain those tax benefits as well okay so it's um but that's that's what I'm saying. One of the greatest investment vehicles that has ever been invented. Thank you, Paul Keating. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, you can definitely say you're passionate about it. Thank I you, think...
1: Paul Keating, for making it compulsory. compulsory. <laughs> yeah. No,
0: you can definitely see you're passionate about this topic. Um, and I think when people come in to visit us, I think they see that, and they see that passion in our knowledge. Um, and that's why, I guess, they come over to us. <laughs> that's one of the reasons. But I think also, too, Jamie,
1: it's actually understanding the SME market, understanding the rules, understanding, uh, working in with other professional advisors. I mean, some of the tax planning stuff would be working with the SME's accountants as an example to help that out. And some of the estate planning stuff would be working with specialist estate planning lawyers, not just your run of the mill suburban lawyer um, who might do some conveyancing and says he can do wills but actually doesn't understand the tax uh, implications of putting things in place. So for the SME clients, having your estate planning especially from your superannuation perspectives is also really important too. Fantastic. So what, what we have though is there is a warning though in regards to superannuation and tax planning. If you consider, if the average Australian male now passes away say at age 85, you could consider that they might have a child who's in their 50s, maybe even 60, okay, on that basis. So, you usually find when people pass away, they've at least got children in their late 40s. When superannuation benefit goes from a spouse to a spouse, their classes are tax dependent. On that basis, the money always goes tax free. There's no tax payable. So, if I have two members of a fund that have 1.6 million each, one of the members passes away, one of the spouses passes away, 1.6 million comes out of super, tax-free goes to the other uh, beneficiary tax-free. No, no issues there. We've now got one spouse left with a with 1.6 million or 1 million or 500,000 it doesn't matter, sitting in their superannuation fund. If they pass away and that goes to their adult non-taxation dependent children, kids over the age of 18 or 24 if they're still studying, the tax on that is most likely at least 17%. So if you consider that million dollars, there's $170,000 in tax that hasn't had to have been paid. This is the importance of, of seeking advice, and we know a lot of self-managed super fund clients don't seek advice, because I can buy NAB shares myself as an example. But if they pass away, why would they pass on a $100,000, dollars $300,000 tax bill unnecessarily to their estate? So on that basis, and we've done it for one client just recently who lost his wife uh, to Alzheimer's, he's not in the greatest to health, one child, and we're actually now taking his benefit out of superannuation, whilst he's still alive, tax-free. Putting it in his personal name, the income that he gets from it, not much tax on it, a lot of it is in a family trust, so basically with his one beneficiary being an adult child, with his one son, uh, who's a, who has no dependents himself, basically it's a case of by doing this, we've just saved David, the son, $220,000 worth of unnecessary tax. This is the importance of seeking advice. Once again, the tax benefits whilst you're still alive and running, away, running a business and everything is magnificent. But you have to do the tax plan, planning and estate planning, and make sure that is set up as well. Otherwise, you've got lots of tax benefits all the way through, but your estate is paying tax unnecessary. Sorry for being so passionate about no, it. I love, it love the to- I love the topic. <laughs> <laughs> I love the subject. And, and but more importantly, the strategies that yeah. we put in place. And I,
0: I hope someone, I hope people listening can take something away from it, even if it's just one thing, and think, you know, get to start thinking about it, um, and maybe they might need to make adjustments to their own situation
1: absolutely and that's that's what good financial plan is for as you know, we have our specialty market. We we work with corporations and SMEs, and, and as a result, we have a lot of executives who have their own tax planning needs because their incomes are high and difference in contributions tax, and, and then we have, uh, disclaimer, we're not accountants, by yeah. the way, <laughs> so we don't do tax returns, but in saying that, though, we have to understand the tax consequences and the state planning consequences of everything that we put together for them, so... so I think superannuation, once again, I bow down on one knee to you, Mr. Paul Keating. Uh, great initiative in respect to making superannuation compulsory. I think it's saved countless generations to ever having to worry about retiring poor. But I do stress, if you're self-employed, please look after yourself make your own contributions to it don't be lazy and do nothing then all of a sudden be 50 and say what do i do i'm in trouble here
0: fantastic all right Tane, i'll see you next week
1: thank you jamie